Morning, church. Such a privilege to be with you this morning, whether you are on site or online. Welcome to Grace. Let's get straight into the word this morning, if we could. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. Psalm 62. Psalm 62. And let's read for a moment, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 62, 1. My soul finds rest in God alone. Say alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Say never. Now, how many know that your experience in this word are somewhat opposed many times. I will never be shaken. Then the psalmist goes down in verse 5, and he repeats himself, find rest. Oh, my soul. Now he's moved from just a declaration of fact to commanding his soul to do something. And he repeats himself. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. I will not be shaken. He goes on. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times. Say all times. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. Ten years ago, August 2011, we had an event happen in our area which was not supposed to happen in our area. And if any of you remember, there was this little place called Mineral, Virginia. Didn't know it existed either. Did not know that there was an eastern fault line. And on August the 23rd, Again, almost 10 years ago, we had an earthquake that affected us here in the Washington, D.C. area. How many of you remember that earthquake? I mean, it was one of those, where were you? I mean, I remember it because everything began to, it was like, did I get an extra shot at Starbucks this morning? What's really happening to me? Am I having a medical event? What's going on here? Because I had never personally experienced or felt an earthquake before. Now, if you're here either online or in person this morning and you're from California, I know you just laughed at us. Because it was like, you know, it's just like, that's not a real earthquake, you know. But, you know, it was real enough, quite frankly, that the tallest stone structure in the world, the Washington Monument. There's some trivia for you this morning. That it was actually damaged and stayed closed For a period of three years, millions of dollars worth of damage was done to that national landmark. The the National Cathedral, you know, some of the the, the angels and the gargoyles and stuff that weren't supposed to fly, they flew that day (laughs) as they literally flew off of that building and came crashing to the ground. And that cathedral was not insured for earthquake damage. And so somewhere around three or four hundred million dollars worth of damage was done just in our area in just a few seconds. 
that in some cases lasted four years. And then here's a little piece of trivia for you. On Wednesday of this week in Clark County, Maryland, there was actually a, excuse me, Howard County, there was actually a 2.1 earthquake that was recorded. Now, most 2.0s, as they are on a seismograph, they, you don't really feel those, but the guys that watch their little meters and stuff, they know it's happening. And so we've got these tremblers that are happening consistently all the time. It's only when they get up to a certain level that everybody can feel them do we tend to pay attention to them. We certainly have been living. Now, if I look back even beginning in 2011, of a decade of living on a fault line and shaking, sort of culminating in this pandemic at the beginning of last year, things that have been going on in our nation that are continuing to, to rumble, the, the, the shaking happening here, the quaking in the nations. If you just look just for a second at, at politically and what's going on uh, around the world with climate, everything, it seems like the earth is groaning and has been. Fault lines, shaking. And if you're like I am, there's one question that you've been asking, when does this what? Stop. I really thought I was through with this. You with me? No, I'm not real pretty, and I know I need to probably wear this more often. COVID or non-COVID, I got that, all right? But the reality is, how many of us really thought that over the past few months, we were gonna, this was going to be something of the past? And yet, this morning, I'm wearing one. Some of you are wearing one. I'm not making a statement for, for, for masking or vaxxing. That's not what this is all about. Except that the, the shaking of this pandemic that you and I really thought was behind us, we realize now it's not. And so I was asking God, when does this stop? Expecting God to tell me what I wanted to hear. He was going to give me a day and a time and a place. And God says, son is not going to. I said, God, wrong answer. Pick door number two. What do you mean it's not going to stop? He said, son, it's not going to stop. He said, because you've got to understand the fault lines are the field. The fault lines are the very fields to which I am calling my people. Why is that? It's because the fault lines open the earth. They open men's and women's hearts. If you remember at the beginning of this pandemic, I prophesied in January of 2020 that God was going to use this pandemic as a plow to open up the nations and the church. And we know that the plowman always does what? He precedes the sower, which always does what? It precedes harvest. Well, let me just say to you, even as the plowman has come through the nations, the church. I believe that these fault lines and this shaking, they accomplish the same thing because the fissures, the cracks that get created in the shaking, they open up and they become furrows for what? The seed 
the word of God to go forth. Steve Merle, the president of our Every Nation Ministries, of which Grace Covenant Church is a part, he spoke a message at our last, world, our last national conference out of Mark 4. And Mark 4 is this Jesus telling this parable of the different types of soils, rocky soil and tilled soil and, and the seed that goes down. And, and Pastor Stephen, like many of us have heard and preached over for, for most of our lives, we've always associated that passage of Scripture as being about the condition of a man or woman's heart. That when the seed of the gospel comes down, then that seed would find good soil. But how many of us know that when the seed of the gospel first came to your heart and mind, it was lousy soil. It was rocky. It was unworked. It was unplowed. And yet the seed itself had the power and the efficacy to do what? Overcome the soil in which it was sown. Amen. What does Mark say? He says, the sower sows the word. It's not up to you and I to do soil tests and soil conditions. Our job is simply to do what? Sow the word. And it doesn't just mean standing behind a desk like this and preaching. We sow that word into every opportunity that we see. The cracks, the fissures, and even in the moment culturally in society that we find ourselves, God is opening these fissures, these cracks in men's and women's lives, prerequisite for something powerful to come forth. And yet, if you're like I am, I'm sick of it. Can I just get real? I'm old. This is harder than an old man. I mean, this shaking that's going on. The disciples asked Jesus the same question, though. I mean, here's Acts chapter 1. Jesus has appeared to them over and over again. He's teaching. He's doing. And they ask, of all the questions they could have asked at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Consumed with dates and times. And Jesus, in a way that Jesus can only do, brings both correction and instruction and promise in the same, same sentence. He says, it is not for you to know the times and seasons that my father has established by his will, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You see, when I, when this earthquake happened 10 years ago, I spoke a message about seismic changes. And one of the points that I made during that message was if you can get off the fault line, move. But guess what? We're on fault lines, ladies and gentlemen, you can't move off of. That's the bottom line. Places that we'd like to shift or move or something we'd like to see God do that would change the environment, change the circumstance. God is saying, no, I've got, I, I'm actually moving you onto the fault line. I said, excuse me? He said, read your Bible. I mean, consider for a moment. God calling men and women to the fault line. Moses, yo, Moses, I want you to go to the baddest dude on the planet, oppressing your people, perhaps one of the most brutal totalitarian governments in the history of mankind. I want you to go get up in his face and say, turn your workforce loose. Let the Jews go. I want you to go confront him. 
And Moses spends the next two chapters in Exodus 3 and 4 trying to talk God out of it. Come on, dude. No, please. You got the wrong guy. Remember me? I'm a murderer, you know, and I don't talk real well. And, you know, I'm not real pretty. My breath is bad. You know, you really, this, this is not a gig for me. And God finally just says, oh, you're going. You're going. Elijah. Confronting Ahab, Jezebel, the entire, I mean, here, talk about another nation, the nation of Israel, apostate. Worshiping all these false gods, Mount Carmel, 1 Kings 18, confronting all of these false prophets in that one moment, moving on to the fault line. David, establishing himself as a warrior, running, it says, to the battle lines to be able to take on. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who would dare defy the armies of the living God? Running. To the front lines, which are the fault lines. And then Paul. This incredible revelation. That this gospel was not just for Jew, but for Gentile. For these, quote, other folks over here. Not a real popular message, to say the least. With either group of folk. Finally understanding that what God had revealed to him was of such importance that he had to get it all the way to Caesar and get it to Rome. And we look at the end of Acts 28, and we see all of the, the events of Paul's life culminating and finally getting to Rome, where we find out extra-biblically that he probably lost his life there as a martyr around 62 AD. Moving to the fault lines. Many times these moments are prerequisite to great moves of God. San Francisco, April 1906, the big one. The big one. The San Francisco earthquake. But you know, there was something else that happened in April of 1906 in San Francisco. <laughs> An African-American preacher began to preach and the fire of God fell in a little place called Azusa Street. And Azusa Street was the place that is generally regarded today as the historical beginning of the Holy Spirit being revealed into this generation. And it was the beginning of the Pentecostal movement that has ignited and changed the landscape, not only of the church, but of nations for the next hundred years plus. But it was an earthquake happening concurrent with God pouring himself out. Look at this. And you see, it's in these moments where God begins to bring about these shakings and we're looking for something to bind and loose and rebuke. And God says, stop rebuking me. Because it's this very shaking, it's in this very place that I'm calling you not only to reside, but to build. Oh my goodness. You got to be kidding. And we look around and, and, and we say, well, maybe God's just making a minor adjustment. Let me just say, earthquakes don't adjust anything. They bring about permanent changes is what they bring about. So it begs a question then. All right. The earthquakes here, the shaking, the fault lines. Okay, Pastor Jim, I'll, I'll accept. But then it begs, what do I do? 
how then do we do life if everything around me is in constant flux and turmoil? Everything seems to be shaking around my life. How then do we do life? Great question. Let me give you some quick points. Very first one, confronting fear. Let me tell you, we live in fearful times, ladies and gentlemen. We really do. We say, well, I'll read my Bible. I have no fear. <laughs> yes, you do. I mean, it's hard not to pick up any piece of media today and we realize that whether it's something that we did or didn't do regarding this pandemic, something that, 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 we're, that we're eating, we're not doing this, we're doing this, this is going to kill you. I didn't know that was going to kill me. I reckon, I guess I'm already dead. I mean, and so we, we, we get all of this, this download of information courtesy of this thing called the intrawebs out there. And it don't got to be dark to be dark. I mean, we're constantly bombarded with all of this, and it does what? It fuels that fear. Wow. We look in a passage like Luke, the 21st chapter. Go ahead and turn there. It's worth, it's, it's worth taking a look at this morning. Luke 21. And it pretty, it pretty adequately describes really where we are. Verse 25. Now, we understand that this is pointing to the apocalyptic event. I mean, the culmination of, quote, the last days and the appearance of Christ on the earth the second time. But listen to this. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. Nations will be in anguish and perplexity. And the roaring at the roaring and tossing of the sea. Anybody read this week that the, uh, that, the, that the Gulf Stream is getting goofed up? That climate change is now changing ocean currents. That what has been bringing warm water up, all of a sudden now this, the, the, the Gulf Stream and these other cycles, climatically, that things have shifted and they're saying that if that Gulf Stream weakens or even reverses, the kind of changes it's going to be to the planet are going to be pretty phenomenal. Once again, fearful news. Let's keep reading. It says men will faint from terror. The King James says that literally men's hearts failing them apprehensive of what is coming on the world for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And at that time, they'll see the son of man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things, it says, begin to take place. Now I'm not saying that we're here, but I'm saying beginning to take place ever since the early church began to understand this. Every generation has thought they were living in the, the last days. So I think we can all understand we're living in some form of them. Amen? I mean, these days are later than the other days. That we, Okay, never mind. All right, you got it. So when these things begin to take place, listen to what Luke tells us to do. Stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. There it is. Stand up, lift your hands, for your redemption is coming near. Man, I wish I could unpack that passage for about a month. What a great, great passage of Scripture. 
But it begs a question, though, to whom are we listening and to what are we peering into? What's informing our faith? The Psalms, a passage like this, or what we are imbibing for the most part? Because fear is loud, ladies and gentlemen. Come on. Fear yells at you, you're going to die. Ugly, painful, quickly. I told you not to eat that bacon. And so, but the thing about faith is that faith is much quieter. Fear screams at us. It wakes us in the middle of the night. But faith, faith is a little bit quieter. We have to learn to listen discriminately so as not to be distracted or deceived by all of this other stuff out there and then determine to find that voice, which many times it sounds like this. You know, when God speaks to me, he doesn't say, hey, you there? Hello? God says, son, are you listening? That's it. Here's a secret, ladies and gentlemen. The longer you walk with God, the quieter his voice gets. But the more distinct it gets. Very important you understand that. God will yell at you early on the same way you yell for your kids. Hey! Dinner! But then there's that moment that mom and dad stop calling. That they gave you this thing called a watch. It is time for you to understand that at this given time, our family gathers together to eat from this table. You didn't call me. You should have known. And that time when mom and dad stop calling you three, four, five times, they call you once. Interesting. God deals, deals with us exactly the same way. And it's that way that we hear the voice of God in contrast to all of these other voices that are making all of this noise. What's informing either our fear or our faith? 1 John 4 talks about fear being a manifestation of imperfect love. What is imperfect love? It's incomplete trust in God. That he knows what he's doing. He knows when he's doing it. God, I don't see it. All I do is feel the shaking. I got this. I got this. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes. Its leaves are always green. Are your leaves green this morning? Or have you allowed your life to get so dry that the shaking has come and the leaves have fallen off? Are your leaves green? It says it has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. Jeremiah. Number one, confronting fear. Number two, consider who's building your building. Listen, if God's if it's God's house and God is in the house, you okay. But if it's something that you're building, not so much. Let me tell you, this shaking will reveal buildings for what they are. 
If they're man-made, they're coming down. If they're houses that God is building, nothing can shake them loose from their foundations. That's just the reality of the situation, ladies and gentlemen. Hebrews chapter 3, every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. And it says, and we are his house if, there's a qualifier, we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Consider our building. For whom are we building? Isaiah 66, chapter 1. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Now, how many of you know God don't need no house? Never has. And yet God is looking in your life individually. Is there anything in there that I want to live in? Anything in there I want to move into? Now, God is so intent that he would move into our situations that he sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of you and I. He's not just dwelling anymore in, t- in, in, in tabernacle or temple, but he's moved on the inside of this temple. But the question is, is it a place God wants to live? Whom are we building this thing for? How are we building? Whose specification? Whose direction? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each man should be careful how he builds. Paul writing to this church. No one can lay any foundation other than the one which is already laid, which is Christ. He goes on, though, it says, if any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is for the day, capital D day, the day will reveal it. The quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he'll receive his reward. If it's burned up, he'll suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. You know, guys, we love the fire of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, I love the fire of God, the power of God. I love worship. We don't like the purifying fire of God nearly as much. It's the same fire because it's the same God. Hear me. You can't just have a little happy Hebrew hop moment, move in the gifts, receive your healing. And not receive the purifying fire of God at the same time. It don't work that way. And let me tell you, if God will reveal your building with fire, he'll reveal it with shaking. To find out whether, what, you have built on sand or you've built on, you know this, the rock. Amen? The the, the integrity of that structure. And saints, listen, as we consider the building... We've got to consider not only what we're building with, but the flexibility of that building. Some years ago, I was in the city of Dubai, and the tallest building in the world is there. It's called the Burj Khalifa. I think it has a different name now. But this bad boy is 2,700 feet in height. Now, a mile, for those of you who have forgotten this number, is 5,280 feet. 2,700 feet. That's a half a mile straight up in the air. 160 stories. And let me tell you, you get at the top of that bad boy. I mean, it's moving. Let me tell you, that wind comes off that desert and that building, you can feel it swaying. But guess what? 
If that building wasn't flexible, the first time that wind hit, hit it, what would happen? It'd be on the ground. What does your building look like? When the shaking comes, they know this in California, they have to build to earthquake standards. It's different than in most places because they realize it's not just how expensive or how pretty the stuff is. It's can it be flexible enough that when the shaking comes, that that building can move and it can go with it. And I hate change. You hate change. Can we get real here? Most of us are change averse. We don't like movement. We don't like shifting. We don't, can we just have it the way it was? Can we just go back to three channels, even if they're in black and white? There are too many choices. Could, could, I, could I have a phone that it rings loud enough for me to hear? And maybe it has a cord attached so I can always find it at the same place in my house. Because if Apple sends me one more update while I'm asleep, I'm going off on somebody. <laughs> Change is hard, but here we are, shifting. And Christ calls us. He calls us to, and he calls us to build upon the fault lines in our culture. Nehemiah, the first six or seven chapters. Good job, cupbearer to the king. And yet, his folk and the place where he was from had been destroyed. Jerusalem was in ruins. Gates of the city burned with fire. You can see there that he gets favor to be released for a moment. He goes and he's in charge of the building. But everything is different. Burned limestones. Things are in ruins. People's lives are in ruins. And they begin to... And, and you would think it'd been easier. Let's just move this wall back a few feet, and not just deal with all of this. And no, no, no. We're going to put the wall right back here. You know, God does the same thing in your life and mine. Son, I'm going to take that burn spot in your life where you don't think anything can be built. And I'm going to build right there. Well, God, use somebody else. Just like Moses. Anybody. No, 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 no. Right here. Well, can we at least. Not? No, no, no. Right here. Because there's a fault line in your life. And ladies and gentlemen, you, all, you, you and I all have one. It's called the sin nature. God does everything in spite of, not because of. And he builds in these very spots on your life and my life so that when the building is done, we can't say, look what I did. Come on, follow that diet, looking good, exercising. Come on, baby, got my spiritual disciplines now. God is blessing me. No, no, it's going to be, I can't believe. God, you would use me. You'd use this spot. You would use this damage. You would use this generational jank. You would use all of this mess in my life, and that's the spot you would build in. Incredible. And it's not just the fault lines in the nations and in the culture. It's the fault lines in your life and my life that Christ wants to set up shop. And that's where he wants to build something glorious. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't seem like. And let me just say. The way we build is going to have to change. It's going to have to change. 
One of my greatest concerns, and I've shared this with you before, is that somehow we would emerge after this pandemic and we'll go back to what we did before. We'll just, whether it's how, what we do in the church, how we do in the church, our priorities, whatever it might be, we just go back and just say, well, whoo, glad that's behind me. We can, we can get on to something else now. My biggest concern is that we don't use this and look back on it almost as a memorial stone, an Ebenezer. and say, remember when? And we see it as something that was prerequisite, necessary to perhaps the greatest move of God that generations have seen. Consider the building. And then lastly, is crouching. You know, when things begin to shake, we, 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 don't, we don't try to get tall and try to get elevated. What do you do when things start getting unstable? Come on. We get low. Let me tell you, in these moments of shaking, this is a place for worship, prayer, submission. You figure out where that floor is, how low you can get on that floor. Because the last thing you want to do is to be on a tower that you built or a tower that somebody put you on. You want to be down here in the lowest place you can get. Because this is the place of safety. The lowest place is a place of safety. Hear me. And there's a couple of ways you can get there. You can get there circumstantially. Oh, God, I'm humbled now. No, you're not. I put you down there. It was the circumstances around your life. It was a diagnosis. It was that last bill that you got. That's the thing that all of a sudden it got you real worshipful and real prayerful. Okay, well, God, I'm humble now. Or we can get ahead of that curve. Preemptively, proactively. Get low. Get low. Second verse of Isaiah 66. Has not my hand made all these things? And this is the one I esteem. Listen to this. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, there's a trembling at the word of God that's different than just the shaking of the world. The shaking in our own lives. There's a right shaking and trembling, but it's at the power, the majesty, the splendor, the holiness of who God himself is. Psalm chapter 40, and I'll close with this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me, heard my cry, and he drew me up from the pit, and he set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. And he put a new song into my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, the world is watching. How are you going to respond to this shaking? How are you going to respond to that diagnosis in your life, to that bad news? How are you going to respond? Because people are looking. In Psalm 40, it says this. It says, many will see fear and put their trust in the Lord. And saints, listen, 
If we want our feet on solid ground, Ephesians 2 says this. It says, we are seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's what I called seated and feeded. And to do this, you got to do it by the Spirit. It's like, how can I be seated in heavenly realms when I'm seated here at 4600 Brookfield? It's something you have to understand and apprehend by the Spirit. God has established something that we are seated with Him. And yet, we're seated here. And it's in that revelation, that contrast, if you wish, that we find terra firma underneath our feet. Heaven, Hebrews chapter 12 says this. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, you know this, that what? Cannot be shaken. You want to find out if something is of God? If it's shaking, it's not God. If it's unshakable, it's always God. It's real simple criteria from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, since we're receiving this kingdom, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Pray with me. Lord, we're human. We don't much like shaking. But God, we want to embrace the shaking, not only that has been occurring in our lives individual, but that which has been occurring through the church, through the nations. Because we know that it's those fault lines that are becoming the furrows for the sower to sow and for harvest to come. So Lord, teach us to build these new circumstances, these new situations. Teach us to build the way Nehemiah had to learn to work in war. He had to have a a new way of, of how he was going to build. God, teach us how to build in the shaking. Not just to wait for it to stop, but to keep on moving. Keep on doing that which you called us to do.